Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Coming Together or Falling Apart, the future of children's media. Um, we have an august panel here who will introduce themselves in a moment, who are going to help us unpick the future of the children's media, session, of the children's media market from a business and commercial point of view. We're going to be spending time unpicking the business models that support the funding of children's content, and we're going to be looking out to 2020, the future of the market, using some scenarios which we've <coughs> developed to unpick the market. We have an agenda is very simple. Um, we're going to very quickly set the scene, talk a little bit about what's been happening in the market. We're then going to turn to our panel to find out what's been happening and what is going to happen. And then we have four scenarios, um, which are thought devices that we're going to use to unpick some of the big changes that may or may not happen. And then lastly, to check that you've all been paying attention, we have some audience interaction questions. We're going to be asking you to vote on whether or not certain things will or won't happen, and then the panel are going to tell us whether you're right or not, which will be interesting for all, I'm sure. A very brief word on who I am. I'm one of the directors and co-founders at a research and strategy consultancy called MTM. We spend our time helping people navigate the digital future and developing their business models, uh, essentially to make sure they can remain viable as businesses that can fund content. Um, we'll be drawing on lots of our research in the market. You'll see some quotes coming up in a moment, which have come from one of our many research programs looking at the way different industry participants are dealing with the future. Our panel, I think many of you will know them already. They'll introduce themselves in a minute. We've tried to pick a panel from a, with a really diverse range of perspectives. We've got new businesses, old businesses, big ones, small ones, um, women and a man. Uh, <laughs> Morning. So we've, we've ticked all the diversity boxes, I'm hoping. Um, but we will see. The picture at the bottom, by the way, is actually Kate. We couldn't find a proper one. <laughs> So, what's been happening? Let's just set the scene. I think the first part of this story is really well known. Summarising brutally, for a long time, not much happened. And then the internet took place. And now suddenly, if you walk into a child's bedroom, there's enormous competition for time. TV still, according to the latest research, is very much top dog. But that's not where the growth is. TV's pretty mature. The growth is on tablets, mobiles, it's in gaming, it's in online video. And that ultimately is going to change the way the market operates. It's already changing the way the market operates. From a business point of view, the big hits, the big franchises are probably more powerful than they've ever been. But they're under pressure. There's been a huge flowering of tiny little businesses bringing lots of new little bits of content into market. There's far more choice and competition out there for consumer spending, for consumer time, for consumer attention. At the top end of the market, whenever we talk to companies in the children's market, the holy grail is still very much toys, games, merchandising, licensing. Long burn periods, 10 years to make a payback on content. At the other end of the market, very, very cheap ways to make content. Quick returns, it doesn't always last very long, but people are hanging in there trying to make that money. So what does that mean for the future of market? Well, lots of people think it means a more fragmented market. So one individual we spoke to commented, for example, the opportunities for brands created by small players are proliferating. There's more ways of getting content into the market than there ever have been. But it also means more consolidation. If you look at something like the TV market, there's almost no medium to large-sized independent producers left. Almost all the companies are part of larger groups. And that wave of consolidation is happening in other industries too. We've seen it in publishing most recently. It's a pretty common theme in markets which are becoming more complex, where portfolios and diversity are really, really critical. Lots of people argue that digital first is becoming the norm. So, for example, digital brands starting in cheap platforms and becoming much bigger, growing and escalating across different platforms and devices. But at the same time, film and TV are still incredible battering rams. If you walk into a supermarket, you won't see many digital first brands. You're still going to see the big film and TV franchises driving sales of consumer products. So there's a real competition going on between at the top end, the big players, at the bottom end, a flowering of a thousand small players. And lastly, many people comment on a much more international market. Today, almost no children's animation content, for example, gets made unless it can specifically work in multiple territories. People are making stuff to spread. Old cultural boundaries are becoming less relevant. 
And when we look at, for example, domestic public service broadcasting production in the UK, it's responded. There's a lot less of it now than there used to be. So what does that mean for the future of the market? Well, the good news is I'm not going to help you find out. That's what our panel are here for. So let's turn from now. We're just going to work our way along. And just first of all, get a bit of a health check on, from a panel as to whether this is the best of times or the worst of times for the children's media market. So diving straight in, Tina. Thank you. Um, I'm going to sit on the fence and say it's neither. Right. It's neither the best of times or the worst of times. I think it's a transitionary time. Um, you know, as a, we're a commercial TV broadcaster predominantly, but we are becoming more and more an entertainment brand. And that's very much a transition. Um, we still rely very heavily on, on, on TV. That's, that's where our main revenue comes from. Uh, and there are challenges around that, and I think we'll probably go into that a little bit more later on. Um, however, as, as you very well you know, summed up, there is um, opportunities from a very small scale uh, to you know, the, the global market. Um, what we're seeing more and more is it's not just US uh, you know, sending their pipeline out to the rest of the world. It's a two-way street, uh, increasingly so. Uh, the not-made-here attitude has definitely shifted, uh, and, a, and a hit can come from anywhere or any medium. And that is very exciting. So I think we're, we're approaching the best of times, but we're not quite there yet. So in the middle. I fear we Transition, may get a lot of that. Transitionary. <laughs> Transitioning. <laughs> Kate? Well, I mean, obviously, the, the answer, the obvious answer is to say the best of times and the worst of times. I suppose um, to dig into that a little bit. I think I'd say that in terms of content creation, it does feel quite like the best of times. Um, in terms of lower barriers to entry, it does feel like the best of times. Um, I think the challenges, the worst of times, is about consumer willingness to pay. It's, for me, very much about how you monetize that richness of content. So best of times in terms of content creation and arguably worst of times in terms of consumer willingness to pay. Alice? Um, <clears throat> all right then, I'll go worst of times. <laughs> uh, now let's think about it. No, I'll go. I'll say yeah. I'm going to say that just purely because I think the levers have changed. So you know, 20 or 30 years ago, let's say th the reason you would make something would be pure, would be simple, quite simple. Pick an age and one supplier, BBC, and you'd make it. And now you have to a think about all the various segmented ages and suppliers and partners that you need and the global thing and the amount of competition that you're up against and the budgets that you're up against. So this is your point about the consolidation. The budgets from the big players now are so extraordinary mm. that for anyone to compete with that, you basically have to be a big player. And because now there are fewer big players than ever, that just inevitably means less, actually less variety unless you go right down to all the tiny stuff so it's a massive power curve so i'm gonna go just to be annoying for worst of times but that said you know i'm a startup and i haven't had to ask permission so also best of times a bit of both rob morning everyone and uh, actually i'll just pick up from where alice left off there i um so I'm, I'm at the other extreme. I'm not a startup. It's a, it's Egmont is a, is a big business, international business. Um, but it still feels a little bit of both, right. tough and, uh, and also uh, very exciting. Um, on the tough side, it's, of course, we're, we're threatened in our, in our traditional channels, our routes to market. And life cycles seem to get ever shorter. So the, you know, the, the time that you have to, to make your business and to make your money gets, uh, gets very, very condensed. Um, but on the other hand, it feels as though there has just simply never been a better time in terms of the amount of content and rights out there to, uh, to, to go for. It's just a, a never-ending stream, and I, and I feel that the, the quality is as high as it has ever been. And, of course, you can quickly get to mass audiences. That's something that we've never really had before um, and of course it's been a feature of, uh, of our market over the last few years it's not easy uh, it takes time and you have to try and fail a great deal um, but nonetheless it's it is very exciting and definitely gets the heart rate going right pulse check complete let's try and unpick a little bit where we are today before we get to our scenarios so let's start with the bad news first of all um, where are the biggest problems from a business model point of view in the children's market? Tina, do you want to dive in? Sure. Who's struggling? Well, you know, from our perspective as a commercial broadcaster, uh, 
advertising is very challenged right now. Kids right. are watching less linear TV. They are still sampling content, but it's across a proliferation of, of platforms. Um, and for us, the challenge is that that's not measured. So we, right. we can't monetize it. Um, so really a big priority, and you know, we're working with Bob and, uh, and the rest of the market on a, a hybrid measurement system, and that frankly can't come quickly enough for us. Um, but then there are opportunities on, around ad-funded programming. Right. Uh, recently we've, we've done, um, well, actually the third year, we've, we've got a relationship with Brickfit Fruit Shoot, uh, which is providing in a real three, 360 um, project on the ground, on air, online. Um, so that's, that's one sort of alternative we've found. It's obviously not, uh, it, it's sort of the exception rather than the rule at the moment. Um, but it's, it is trying to find how, different ways to fund. Um, we're also you know, looking at uh, doing not just the big global SpongeBob type shows, where we've got an animated shorts project going on. So it's trying to find you know, cheaper ways of delivering quality content. So, so, the problem, so one of the areas of difficulty is the traditional spot TV ad market. Yeah. which is just not really funding children's content. Well, it still in the same is. I mean, way. you know, it's still it's Important, still the biggest part so. of our revenue for sure. But kids are watching less. Right. Uh, you know, TV, anybody can see the viewing figures are are down uh, quite considerably. Right. So that's that's going to be a challenge. And Rob, from your point of view, yeah, from from our point of view, it's it's that uh, we we make the vast majority of our money from our traditional routes to market and our traditional products. So print, printed books and magazines via retailers, whether digital retailers or, or bricks and mortar. Um, actually making money from other forms is, is extremely difficult, whether they be apps or online communities or, or whatever it be, may be. Um, so uh, on one hand, you've got uh, these kind of big consolidation pieces going on. Uh, we're trying to get bigger in order to be to be more efficient where, uh, and, and really keeping it tight. Whereas on the other hand, you've got uh, a lot of opportunities in this, in this digital space. Um, but it's how much, how much do you put in? How much do you risk? Because it's not easy to, uh, to, to get the money out. And, money and the is cliche, fairly small. Sorry, the, the cliche that lots of companies point at is, is analog pounds, digital pennies. Is, is that your experience? Uh, that's, that's our experience, definitely. But it can be a lot of pence, by the way. It can be a lot of pennies, yes. right. <laughs> Over time. Almost pounds, but yes. not quite. Kainas, I'm guessing you may have a slightly different perspective. From where you sit, where do you see the problems? What, what, who's struggling? I mean, I'm very... Nosy Crow is very much about reading, and I guess one challenge would be around pressure on reading time and just re reading as a, a, an, an engaging activity for children. And I suppose that's driven us um, to spend part of our time trying to make sure that reading is not the most boring thing you could do on a touchscreen mm. um, and, uh, and develop a set of reading apps that, that are genuinely engaging. For us, though, I would have to say we are, we are far from um, released, if that would be the word, um, from, print, uh, from print publishing, and, and we produce um, print and, and e-books too. And from our perspective, that bricks-and-mortar bookshop opportunity, um, and I know this is very specific to, to the publishing industry, is a, is a real challenge for us. Because the truth is that even though the children's print business is pretty healthy, a, 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 a bookshop cannot live by children's books alone. And as we see a drift of adult reading towards e-devices, and indeed pressure on adult reading time, um, we, I'm concerned about, about the, the health of um, bricks and mortar bookshop. And from our perspective, that's a challenge around discovery, because right. still, for children's reading material, the way that people find that stuff is by going into yeah. a shop. And online browsing has not replaced that physical, I'm in there, my child wants this one experience. Right. Alice? I'm going to go for <clears throat> maybe, I don't know if this is a surprise, but mobile games for kids right. are quote unquote somebody very well known who might have done a keynote last night, <laughs> a uh, kill box. Um, in terms of monetization. So we're seeing that like digital games that are smash hits that produced a crap ton of money um, generally started on computers or consoles. If they're ported to or start in 
app stores, maybe not so much. There's a real pressure in the ecosystem of the app stores that means that basically kids can't pay because they don't have a credit card, and adults are like, oh, what a load of crap. What's all of this <laughs> stuff? No, you're not buying that. So unless, you know, it's a singular name like Minecraft. But I think you could say that the, you can count the number of mobile games that are a smash hit for kids that are for kids, not that kids playing adult things, on one hand. I had a conversation with somebody, a Swedish publisher, who was talking about the fact that she was still using, she was using she's got little grandchildren. She's saying that she loved Talking Tom. They loved Talking Tom. I know it's not all mm. that, but they loved Talking Tom. And she said, the problem with Talking Tom is it tries to get me to buy things. Mm. And I said, mm, <sighs> yeah, well, yes. <laughs> and she said, it's so, but it's so entertaining and diverting. Mm, the thing is, how are people going to continue to entertain and divert your children, your grandchildren in this case, unless you give them some resource to build new content. And so I think it, the, that, that question of, ex, mm. I mean, I touched on it at the very beginning, that mm. expectation of very low, um, low or no um, pennies being paid um, for, for can mobile Can we just pause on the app piece for a minute? Because lots of people would argue that we've seen little or no growth in spending in the big established markets. They're clearly under pressure in many senses as they transition to digital, but there's lots of money in apps. Is a cliche you often hear. From but you eat an adult market yeah. from So, like, take Superset, take Clash of Clans. Five-year-olds play Clash of Clans, but the majority of people spending the money are, you know, 18 plus. Does that matter? Um, it does if you're making an app for kids. So, if you're making an app, it needs to go in the part of the app store that's 13 plus in order to make money. Presumably adults bought the DVDs as well, though. Rob? Yes. No, I was going to say that apps is, is, is also it's like, very like traditional publishing. It's a hit-driven business. Mm -hmm. It's one or two things that absolutely fly and take off. And then there's an extremely long tail. I mean, a mm -hmm. massively mm -hmm. long tail. I mean, Tokabok is a good example, I think, of people who've done well mm -hmm. in the app yes, store for kids. But if you compare Tokabok's uh, success with Supercell's success, it's an order of magnitude. Right tiny compared to Supercell. So it's not to say you can't have a hit, but then Tokabocker is one of the one that you can count on your one hand. So, like, you know, and I think last year, well, I, I'm not going to say their fund monies because I'll probably get it wrong, but um, it's going to be something like a hundredth of what Supercell right. was making. Should we, and apart from, let's not get too carried away by apps, what are the other big areas of commercial opportunity in the children's market? If, if you're a children's business today, there's not much growth in your core market, in the traditional markets. You've got this digital disruption horror to deal with. What's exciting as an area of opportunity in terms of making money from children's content? Dare I say consumer products? Um, right. <laughs> um, I've got two of our consumer products people are somewhere, so I've, I've said it, guys. Um, but it's, yeah, it is. You know, it, it's, it's the touch points with uh, a trusted uh, character or a brand. I mean, you know, let's take Nickelodeon's idol, SpongeBob. You, you know, you, SpongeBob lives in, on so many platforms, not just TV, but online, games. Uh, on the app, uh, we've got you know costume characters, theme park, onesies, toys, comics, books. It, it lives everywhere, and you know kids. In our research, kids expect that um, brand to be available in every you know possible medium that they they sample themselves, and they expect it to have a certain quality, a certain resonance, you know, to be authentic to the, the particular platform it's on. Um, and that's that's really where we are seeing. And this is the, the big. Most this is mainly big established franchises. It's the snowball <coughs> effect. It's the <coughs> snowball effect. I mean, once you get to a certain size and you've had a certain amount of marketing put behind the name right. on whatever platform it is, then translating it to another format, whether that's a whatever a game, a toy, whatever, is much cheaper than starting from scratch. So mm. it, it's just going to get faster and quicker for any brands that right. get past a certain point. But the exciting thing is that. Uh, pretty well anyone can get in the game now. It's not as it was previously, it was closed out. You had to have the, the routes to, to the consumer. Now, anyone can get into, uh, into, the, into that market. And presumably by the same token, though, it's more of a lottery ticket. It, exactly. It just, than uh, ever. yeah, it's proliferation. All right. You did touch on international and you touched on global, and I think that that is a, a real opportunity for, for all of us that um, are... The, the barriers to access have gone down as well as the barriers to entry, and that's access to consumers through yeah. a whole set of yeah. digital media, social networking, and so on. But also, we 
our apps are available internationally. I do not yeah. have to, as I tragically used to, um, you know, or as I do with my books, you know, put them in a warehouse. Um, I can just send them off to um, an app store, and, and, and there they are throughout the world. And so I think that that's, um, that does feel quite exciting. In a context in which we are seeing, an, in a number of countries, um, a large population of children and an increasing number of parents who have the will and wherewithal to invest in the education and entertainment of those children. I think we've well and truly set the scene. So I think it's time for us to dive into our scenarios. Um, right. So, ladies and gentlemen, here we have four scenarios for future children's media market. We're going to dive into a minute. Around each one, we've told a little story. Um, I want to stress, and it's hidden at the bottom, so you probably can't see it, but it says, these are thought experiments, not forecasts. <laughs> I don't think anybody's saying these things are going to happen, but we're going to try and find out from our panel why they're not going to happen. Um, so, let's dive into our first one. They're, they're a little bit wordy, but they'll be up on screen for a while, so you'll have a chance to digest. So, scenario one. Digital eats the world. So, what's the story here? Um, Internet-connected devices essentially become the dominant device for children's um, content. Linear channels and broadcasting just decline. We've heard a bit about that already. On-demand becomes the dominant mode of consumption for children for TV and video content. Digital businesses emerge as major children's media players. Um, the next Disney's come from a digital arena, not from the film and TV market. And many children's broadcasters do a BBC Three, as I'm sure it will become known. They just shift completely online. Broadcast diminishes. We're left with a BBC, maybe a little bit of other stuff. Digital rules. Alice, why is this not going to happen? No, it's totally going to happen. It what is are you talking about? <laughs> Pick the wrong one. <laughs> so, it's happening. It is happening. It's, it's happened. happened. You it's think happened. This is the future. Uh, yeah, totally. But I, th I think. <laughs> so maybe we should start a different angle. Tina, why is this? <laughs> Why is this uh, not going to happen? Well, it is going to happen. It is <laughs> happening to a degree, though. Let's, let's quantify that. I'd like to uh, thank our panel. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, t TV is, is still the dominant force uh, in, in, in our business. Um, and the, the latest Enders uh, analysis shows that Probably actually... Probably wrong. Oh, no, don't say that. <laughs> That was my whole argument. <laughs> they're, so, they're, they're rivals, <laughs> it's probably wrong. But. Okay, oh, sorry. Yeah. Uh, so an unnamed uh, analysis uh, right. said that, um, that consumption of devices is actually going to plateau because uh, obviously we've seen a massive pl proliferation in the, in the past few years. Uh, clearly, from my business, I, I hope that's kind of true, um, but it's probably you know, an un unrealistic um, wish that again it's back to monetization if if this content and and you know it is already available everywhere we need to be able to monetize it we also need to stop piracy you know that's a it's a huge problem for for us um but it's it's that entry point of what are people what are consumers willing to pay for kate are we are we just being fooled by the last five years and actually digital is much closer to being mature because at the moment it's clearly not top dog from a money point of view, is it going to become well, a top dog? I, I think the question is how you, I mean, obviously, you know, the question is how you define, how exactly you define digital media, because the mm. truth is that certainly in children's publishing, whether it's app or, um, or, or print book, actually everything that's originated really is originated digitally. An awful lot of it is marketed digitally. A lot of it is sold digitally. Some of it is content that is consumed on a digital sort of a platform. Um, yesterday, somebody came in to the office with some picture book artwork um, in, in a portfolio. I mean, it was a, it was a real moment, actually, um, it, because that never happens. Um, we had cake and everything. Um, you know, it was a bit of a thrill um, because it was artwork that we could put on the table. I mean, it, it, it's genuinely unusual. So that, so I suppose I'm questioning whether or not this. Um, I think it's been a much more gradual shift over time. I mean, I you know the the days of um, people producing material, anything other than digitally, in any of the forms that I'm um, involved in, is, you know, and that, that, it's, unless, it's unusual. This is talking about, isn't it, though, this is talking about the death of print. This is talking about TV declining. Kids get home, they don't turn on the telly, they turn on the tablet. 
And that's where they spend their but time. I, that's where the money is. I think I'd say that it, then you're still saying that the, the content may be the same. The content may be the same. We right. may choose to access it on a different screen, but it may well be the same. And I completely accept there are financial model issues around that. But I think that that idea that the media itself is different is perhaps an, an exaggeration. So you're saying that this is going to happen. It just doesn't matter very much. It doesn't matter as much as perhaps doom-mongers would I think we're ignoring the, uh, the issue of, of kind of uh, what, what mode that children are in when they, when they come to this, these forms of entertainment or even education. Um, they're, they're not always kind of on. You know, sometimes yeah. they, they, they do want to relax. Sometimes they, mm -hmm. uh, they do want to kind of uh, you know, slow, uh, slouch on the sofa and, uh, and, and, and view a bigger screen. It's not always on a, on a tablet. Um, and also, you know, sometimes those kind of quiet moments, those moments of wanting to be still and disappear into your own head. Um, okay, they're getting they become a tiny They're getting the squeezed. Unquestionably, they're getting squeezed. And if you, you know, if you ask me what I really think about this, I think it's plausible. I think it, it could possibly happen. But I don't think those other things will completely disappear. They won't be squeezed out. It's a bit like when, um, you know, TV come, came along. You know, radio didn't disappear. And and newspapers before it, and so on. So uh, I, I think it just gets added to. It just gets so, stacked, so, stacked so, upon. So, so in other words, the panel seem to think this is not far off a forecast. The question is really about how big the it's, other stuff still is. Yes, mm. It's absolutely. still going to be smaller, but how much smaller? Yes, and, and, and the timescales. What's the timescales we're talking about here? All it's, right. 2020. And, and also, oh, okay. I, I agree that you know every uh, medium has a different experience, as you say. You know, TV. We we did um, a survey, a uh, research uh, study called "Me, Myself, and I," and it was about what kids, how kids consume. And TV, you know, that big screen, lie back on the couch with your family as well. The shared experience was still mm. quite important to kids, mm. uh, certainly younger kids. And um, similarly, I think there's strong evidence to suggest that you know a third of kids are reading daily still, and 30 percent kids are being read to. But they'll be doing it on tablets. They, they yeah, aren't. I don't know about that. That's a very interesting That's, thing. They yeah. aren't. And we're seeing, for example, picture book growth of sort of up to 40% over the last yeah. over the last so the physical, 10 years. Let's, let's jump on to the next okay. scenario because we're going to run just, out just, of time. Just add, d please don't forget about the anxiety of parents. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> you know, they are yeah. enormously anxious about this <laughs> whole kind of digital about the anxiety of parents. <laughs> So, and what they do themselves may not be what they want their kids Our to do. second scenario, um, equally improbable, clearly. Um, <laughs> the games industry becomes the dominant children's medium. So games, clearly, over the last 10 years, has clearly become far more important as a way of funding content. It's more closely intertwined with TV. It's spawning big franchises. In this scenario, by 2020, games is king on top of the hill. It's the dominant children's medium. Pretty much all the big new franchises start off as gaming franchises. Toys and games companies become even more important, if not the dominant sources of funding for new content. We look back at Moshi, Club Penguin, Angry Birds as trailblazers, pioneers who set the pace. Lego is the new Disney. Um, <laughs> Alice, presumably this is also going to happen. Yes, but only where games... Oh, now I'm going to sound like I'm setting this up for what I do. But uh, <laughs> okay, I was going to say that the toys are really important in that picture because you've got Lego there and it's mm -hmm. all correct. And Moshi and Club Penguin and Angry Birds all became as big as they did because of the toy thing. If you look at the top ten kids' media properties, they tend to be movies some telly and toys, mm -hmm. and then games are kind of coming in where they have spread into those. So, but if this is 2020, there will undoubtedly be one or two games originated IP in the top 10, yeah, why not? And one of them will be something like Minecraft. But, you, but games won't be as massive as this is implied. Not on their own for kids. Right. Yeah, as a, as a part of a bigger IP picture, yes. Rob? Yeah, echo the same thing. Um, looking at, uh, if you look over the last four years in, uh, in children's publishing, um, and when you source, when you go back and look, where did character brands come from? Four years ago, only 4% came from toys and digital. That number today is 40%. Um, so all the other sources, whether they be books, whether they be TV and movies, have been squeezed. 
and uh, and you know, games and uh, and digital is 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 very with your crystal ball. Forty percent by twenty twenty. But I think 60, what we're seeing, 80. so the, the punchline is, we're seeing it starting to flatten out. It's right. not growing that much now because I think in the end games are a little narrow in terms of of content. I'm, I'm reminded some some of you in the audience might uh, might remember Pokemon, and um, you know Pokemon exploded in a in a in a massive way in lots of different forms, and eventually made it to a movie. And what an unmitigated disaster the movie was. I mean, it, it just it didn't work because there was no characterization there. You know, the, the the whole kind of story was pretty well non-existent. It just couldn't stand it up. And and I and I suspect that will be the Achilles heel for, for this scenario that they I suppose isn't isn't the issue that games platforms are just becoming more and more sophisticated. And you talk to any top quality games developer and the story's becoming richer, the characters around them are becoming better articulated and described. Surely games has the potential to be up there with T V and film? I think it can coexist for sure. I don't think it's it's going to dominate necessarily, but there are definite you know there there are some successful obviously transitions. Um, uh, animated series that we've got on Nickelodeon at the moment, Raving Rabbids came from a Ubisoft game. Uh, I know that's that's done really well. So I think it's it doesn't really matter where it comes from. I think it's if it's a great IP, it's going to work across every platform. And I I don't think Lego will be the new Disney necessarily because. You know, Lego, although it has had success with it, some of its own brands, really its massive success has been from existing IP. Right. In terms of um, looking at games purely, I mean, obviously, they're not... Games are not immune from the kinds of pressures that we've been talking about on, on other media, I think, is the, is the first thing to say. I mean, it's as challenging to monetise games as anything else. Um, and I think that I would, uh, I would agree with Rob that we've, we've seen a lot of fantastic franchises, things like... Um, Twilight, things like Hunger Games, things like Wimpy Kid that have emerged from a book background. And it's interesting to see there's still stuff like Tom's Tank Engine kicking around perfectly happily, um, you know, a billion trillion years after I sold rights in it. Um, uh, so, you know, Thank you, Kate. Uh, you know, kind of when I was engaged in, in that business a long time ago. Are you broadly on the same page that games have intrinsic limitations that will prevent them becoming dominant in the way this scenario is I, I don't I don't think um, that I'd say that they that they are fixed that there's a ceiling on games I guess I'd agree with you that right. I don't think there's a ceiling on games and I suppose you know in our small way at Nosy Crow we're also sort of exploring what does what is that intersection of story and game um, in the in the apps that we produce and I can see that there is real opportunity with huge cost attached to it often sure. to develop things that are terrific. We talked about low barrier to entry, and yes, it is, it is cheap and easy and quick to get something up there, but that doesn't mean that quality is cheap okay. or and I think we should have a quick. final word from our games guru, uh, Well, I was going to say, the, the one, I mean, the magical exception to this is the smash hit that is Minecraft, mm. which costs almost nothing to run, <laughs> and it's making their money faster than they can wash themselves with it. And they don't even want to spread it out particularly to other forms. Mm. And I, I would be surprised if there is a child in this country and most others that hasn't, doesn't play Minecraft. Where did that come from? So that's the one that breaks the rules. So I think the thing about games is there is a, an opportunity still in there to break the rules that doesn't exist through film, through telly, or through toys, probably not sure. But games, it's still there. It's a tiny little crack. And if you slip through it with something magical and you have a smash hit, it's a mm. different picture to everything else. So I think that, that's what Just very about. quickly, in a final word, do, do, are you as sceptical as the others about the ability of games to become a kind of dominant or top three medium that this implies? Well, no, no, I'm a massive <laughs> games addict and, <laughs> and uh, fan, but I, no, I think the games, I think it will be, um, I think the thing is, is it's, it still comes down to characters and environment and telly, film, books and games all have generally characters and environment. Um, it's just that previously games were kind of over there on those weird boxes and now they're not, they're right in there up against right. the, the media that are 30 to 100 years older. 100 books, sorry, millions and thousands of years. So, you know, it's that. Games have kind of come in and gone, right, we're going to stand here too. All right, let's jump to scenario three. Um, I think we really need to make this one extreme because everybody knows this is happening. 
So by 2020, um, book and magazines, physical books and magazines in this scenario, rapidly decline. Um, they literally go. Um, magazines, there's just nothing left. It's devastation out there. You walk into a news agent, you're buying something else. But from a kid's point of view, it's gone. Books, there's a small rump gifting market left in this scenario. But essentially, kids do not walk down to bookshops. Parents do not walk down to bookshops with their kids and buy books in the same way. This it's is just totally gone digital. wrong. This is totally wrong. Let's come back to that. <laughs> your, your, your Egmonts, your random penguins, shift online. Some do it successfully. Lots of them fall by the wayside but a thousand new players proliferate. Apple and Amazon rule the roost. Dominant players, lots of big authors go direct. But this presumably is going to happen, Rob. <laughs> You're such a depressive joke. <laughs> well, is um, this depressing? Is, is... Well, it is from where I'm sitting. It is from where... but, uh, <laughs> Un understood. Lo lo why of is course, this not going to happen? Long, long term, it's, it's going down. But, but a, nice, a nice little fact for this morning, the children's book market, year on year, grew by 11%. <laughs> and just to unpick that, oh, why, why? Minecraft. <laughs> In a word. <laughs> it's a beautiful kind of no, uh, coming together. That's, that's there a great you go. It was other things as well. But, uh, so, but so you've, had, you've had an abnormal so, spike because of one big hit. Yes, but it's funny, isn't it? These abnormalities keep coming along. You know, we're, we, we are always... in a very hit-driven business. Isn't that just the power curve happening, that every year it's that one big thing? That but are they not buying the artefact anymore? No, they're still buying the artefact, the physical thing that you can... And are you, are you, are you, you were but saying I'm not, this I'm is... Not, I'm not for one moment saying that, you know, it, you know I'm sitting there as King Canute. It's, it, you know, it is going down. And I think uh, from, a, from a print point of view, that's about, often about the kind of retail challenge. Yes. Um, How many of... people got the Minecraft licence? Oh, in terms of publishers? Yeah. One. Has. Right. So, so what's happened to the others? Um, what, the we other licences? We grew 125% in the UK oh, last year. <laughs> it's actually true in terms of TCM figures. There you go. So to, to, just, and can you explain? So, so we're saying that even by 2020, there's still going to be a large physical rump, if I can call it that, of, yes. of book so, sales happening. So first of all, there's no... Uh, right now, there is no e-reading alternative. Right. There's nothing that's really taken off. E-books for, e for children, apps for children, it's there, it's growing, but it is still small. We're talking right. about 2 or 3%. So um, now I think that will grow, um, but what's interesting that we observe is that uh, for, for children, often when they are first exposed, exposed to screens, uh, normally now tablets, not uh, specific e-readers, they don't view them as reading implements. They view them as games, games, games gaming, right. games or, or, or social media in various forms. Um, so, so there isn't there isn't that kind of switch that's that's going on. Also, still, uh, print the physical uh, paper is often the, the child's first experience. Of, and is, is there another scenario which is even if the artifact has some appeal? Kate talked about the decline of the bookshop as a place to actually go and buy the books. Surely the decline could be very rapid over the next five, six years. We're, okay. seeing, we're seeing the growth of a lot, of, a lot more browsing online. I said it doesn't replace it, but it was interesting mm. to see that, you know, saw it in a shop used to mm. be the purchase prompt. And now there is more, um, a greater sense that saw it in a shop might mean saw it in an online shop. And, you, you know, you've obviously name-checked Amazon in, in that scenario. And I do think that we're already in a situation where between, I think, one in three and one in four children's books, um, print books that's bought, is, is bought online. Mm. Um, and so we've already moved to a situation where... Um, Arguably, we are untethered from um, the, 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 the dominance of bricks and mortar, or we're beginning to be. Um, have we are obviously then tethered to the dominance of Amazon, which is interesting. Um, so I think there's a, you know, there's a, sure. a kind of a, an issue around that. I would say absolutely, I think this is, I mean, I would say this, wouldn't I? I think this is not going to happen. And right. I say this as somebody who is very comfortable creating digital reading experiences um, right. and also creating print reading experiences. And I suppose the experience of doing both of those has made me think very, very hard about what makes a good digital reading experience and what makes a good print reading experience. And I think that if you th think about some of the things that have been quite, I admit, quite niche sorts of hits, 
there's a book called Maps that some of you may have seen that was kicking around in bookshops around yeah. Christmas time. Um, and that sold um, tremendously well, and that's very much sold on the physicality the wrappability, you talked about gifting, the wrappability of the book. And book gifting is a really important aspect of, of what we do um, as, uh, as publishers. And one of the things that challenges me is the challenge of digital gifting of any kind for mm. children. How do, how do grandparents give the thing? And I think that's where you, know, you talked about physical products and you know being aware that the child is into a particular thing then means that you buy the Minecraft book. or you So, so, so buy boiling the it down brutally... The, the enduring appeal of the physical artefact and the persistence of the high street infrastructure and Amazon sales uh, will mean also, the physical And also, device. I think the other thing that, that you raised, and I think that's entirely right, Rob, is, is, is um, parental conservatism, particularly for littler children. That it's often the case that I encounter parents who are saying that they don't right now want their little child to have access to unlimited screen time. Well, books and print is perceived as very good for you. And reading is perceived as really, really good for you. Right. Yeah. So thankfully, once again, we can blame the parents. <laughs> uh, <laughs> right. <laughs> Our final scenario, um, a cheery one. A thousand flowers bloom. There's our thousand flowers. Um, so in this scenario, cost of entry fall. We heard a bit about that. Um, content creation tools proliferate. Digital platforms provide easy access to global audiences. New businesses flower. We get millions of them, hundreds and hundreds of thousands of small businesses flourishing in the children's content markets. Rather than consolidating the doomsday scenario for all but a few, um, the market fragments. We see the big players progressively losing share. The franchises, the big franchises persist, but rather than becoming more powerful, they become less powerful. Creative destruction becomes the norm. Children flock to one thing, and then 12 months later, they're onto something else. Um, new properties burst into life, but their life cycles are much shorter. So we have a far more sort of Schumpeterian market, if I can use that horrific phrase. Um, things flowering and dying much more quickly. Um, Tina, presumably this is also going to happen. Um, not exclusively, I don't think. I mean, right. I, I think it's happening already that there are, you know, there's such huge long franchises. I mean, my client just talked about Thomas Tankin, 70 years old next year. I mean, that... <laughs> <laughs> you can pay me after for the plug. Um, you know, that's, that's a massive franchise and still continues to be re refreshed uh, and, and so popular. Um, but then again, you know, there are um, very short bursts. I, mean, I was uh, looking at the, on the Amazon toilets, you know, uh, loom bands. They're elastic bands, um, yes. but they're massive. But how long is that going to last? You but know, do you, be very why are franchises going to persist in this? Why, when we have this flowering of creativity from thousands of companies, are they just not going to dwindle? Because the quality. Mm, they so have the, the storyline. They, they have nostalgia. They yeah. have right. inertia. nostalgia. Massive marketing. Yeah. Some of them. I'm not consistently, consistently, consistently massive. Consistently, consistently yeah. massive marketing. I think. So how, how big a share do we think they can hang on to? Will it be bigger or smaller than today? Rob. I think it will be smaller than it is today. But uh, right. my suspicion is it will still be the majority. I think they'll still have right. the majority of the market. Because, because the big players have, have the resources to be able to depend it, to, to attract the best talent, to, to do the most marketing. Right. So they can defend that position. And when you talk about big children's franchises, I mean, there's, there are new big children's franchises happening all the time, and they become big children's franchises. They become part of our landscape. We've name-checked so many of them in the course of this, of this panel. And do you think the rate at which they're created will increase? Yes. So there will be more franchises being created more quickly. And will they decline more rapidly? I mean, it seems likely they yes. will. Yes. But then the, the cyclical, they'll come back again. Right. I mean, Disney always talk about the seven-year cycle, don't they? Yes. And they bring everything back again. I, you know, that's, I think that's a big part. Again, it's nostalgia, but also because those properties are good. Right. They're classic. They've got, you know, very high production values, good quality, great writing. You know, that's, there's always going to be a market for that. OK. Now, we are running perilously short of time, so... We're going to jump very quickly on. Pamela, in a sentence or two, <laughs> no more than a sentence or two, with few sub-clauses, a realistic scenario for 2020. We've had four little thought experiments. Any thoughts on what a scenario might look like? What would look most different from today? I suppose the thing that occurred to me when you asked that question, because we did have some preparation for this, was that if you... I sort of tried to think, well, what would... 
what would I have said would happen six years ago? And I think the thing I would have not said is the enormous dominance of, or you know, the, the enormous growth of, t of tablet. Right. I mean, I think that, so actually a, dev a device changed our world yes. and, and predicting what, a de what device might happen between now and 2020 is, is pretty tricky. I suppose if I had to choose one of those scenarios to pin my colours to, I would be saying a thousand flowers bloom. thousand flowers. Any other quick words? Um, I think it'll be a, uh, um, a kind of a consolidation at the, at the at top. top. The big will get bigger, but there will be a fragmentation as well. A lot of small players, the secret is just don't be in the middle. Right. Place yeah. to be. So the death in the middle. Tina, I, mean, I, don't, I think ki kids will control their own uh, media. You know, th they'll curate their, uh, their own uh, More pool, consumption. Yeah. Alice, a quick word? Yeah, tablets, more tele on more tablets, tablets and more thousand flowers. I mean, we, we just, uh, we put out a game last week and now we have tons of people who turned up from Russia and the Middle East and now our toys are going to the Middle East. Wow. Bang. I've never been to the Middle East. <laughs> that stuff is you, you weird may well be and seen. different. <laughs> yeah. One thing that would be great to see, and I don't know that we will, but it would be fantastic, would be kids enabled to... It further enabled to create their own media, the thing right. that they can see, yeah. to, to create and share their own media. So hopefully more of that. Into our final little segment. We have five minutes. I'm hoping to race through this. Audience, you've dozed through the last 50 minutes. Your caffeine has worn off. But now it's time to hear what you think. So here's how this is going to work. We're going to flash up a set of statements. And each one of them will be a statement about the market in 2020. And then we're going to ask for a show of hands. Um, we're going to go fact first. So all of you who think this is a true statement, I want you to raise your hands. And then we'll go to fiction. Everyone who thinks it's fiction, raise your hands. We'll get a rough sense of where the majority lies. And then the panel will tell you why you're wrong. <laughs> OK. So let's just have a little practice warm up just to see if you're awake. So by 2020, <laughs> Bagpuss will be the largest UK children's brands. All those who think that is fact. Oh, dear. <laughs> to all those who think that's fiction. That's, you've got the idea. Panel, you probably don't want to comment on this one. <laughs> OK, so let's dive straight into the hard stuff. Um, by 2020, the children's physical book market will be worth less than 50% of its current retail value. Um, so it was 298 million, I think, in 2013, although Rob has just told us it's returned to growth in 20, uh, recently um, in 2013. So by 2020, who thinks it's fact that the children's physical book market will be worth less than 50% of its current retail value? Who thinks it's fact? Who thinks... Oh. Ah. <laughs> who thinks it's fiction? Hooray! <laughs> Panel? Broadly right? They're all... Broadly right. Broadly right. You're on fire. <laughs> <laughs> Apart from Michael down at the front, sadly. <laughs> Someone, uh, contrary. Yeah. Someone has, Someone to, has to be contrarian. So. You're probably right. Um, our next one, let's try. Um, by 2020, sales of digital children's books will be worth over 150 million. I think in 2013, it was 16 million. So who thinks this is fact? Well, I have to say yes. You have to say yeah. yes. A few more do. Okay. So there's some growth. And who thinks it's fiction? Kate. I think I th the majority thinks it's fiction. And I think they're probably right. I think that the growth will, um, you know, I think there will be growth in, in straight children's books um, that are delivered on screen. I think what's interesting is what the intersection between game and reading, game right. and book so what do we will, even mean by book? will be. What do we mean? 10x in eight years. Easy peasy. <laughs> Easy peasy. But I think we've all. Uh, I think that's like, it's quite an interesting conflict potentially with with the hands up on the physical book market Absolutely. because I think hard if we're saying both. that it's hard to do both, are I think if we're saying there's a squeeze on reading. Is it replacement time. though, or is it just more books? Well, I think that there's. Uh, I think in terms of children's reading time, there is replacement. Yeah. Mm. Rob, would you agree? What, uh, yes. What, what do you mean by a book? I think is yeah. Uh, what do you mean? Problem. In this uh, context, but uh, back to an earlier comment, I think. Uh, for, for kids, generally speaking, screens equals play. 
it, it doesn't equal read. So, so we're not going to see that. Read experience well, yeah, but that assumes elsewhere. screens don't change in it, eight it does. years. I it mean, does. tablets tablets are brand new and they have one button and for the most part, and they're you know they they've had one design on the app store that hasn't changed. So, and if so they did a radical change, it went go into book mode. So ramp, rampant disagreement has broken out on the panel, which I think gives us <laughs> time no, I, to just I jump quickly on. If, so Apple next one. Installed, if Apple installed iBooks, totally. by 2020, Netflix will be the world's largest commissioner of children's Guaranteed. TV and video. Guaranteed. You've heard a lot. It's <laughs> hard to pick up a magazine without reading about growth and spend. Who thinks by 2020, Netflix will be the largest commissioner? Who thinks this is fact? Oh, so that's about half. Who thinks that's fiction? Oh, that's like, about 50-50, I'd say. Tina, this is fact, surely. No. This is fiction. I, I, th I think it's fiction. I think there will be, you know, obviously they are investing in content. I don't think they'll be the world's largest oh, commercial um, uh, uh, commissioner, sorry. Um, again, it's, you know, it's will people pay subscription? Right. Yeah. Okay. So, definitely wrong on that one, I'm afraid. Uh, two more to go. Our next question. In 2020, a film based on a digital-first brand like Moshi will top the UK box office. Who thinks this is fact? Okay. Who thinks this is fiction? So this is plausible, surely? Yeah. 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 It's definitely so no, plausible. Yeah. You're right. Don't worry. You're right. <laughs> Watch out for there. Minecraft movie. Everything uh, is awesome. <laughs> next. 75% um, of the top 20 children's apps will be made by micro-businesses with fewer than 10 employees. In other words, the big boys are not going to rule the roost in the apps market. Who thinks this is fact? And who thinks it's fiction? Mm. Again, I think you're about 50-50. Kate? I wish I knew. <laughs> um, Kate's business, she told me earlier, has more than 10 employees. I do have more than 10 employees. Um, yeah, I, I think, I, think I, wa I want to believe that to be true. So I'm going to say it is. Ah, there you are. I think that we've talked about low barriers to entry and we've talked about you know, Minecraft being a, you know, a brilliantly simple, cheap-to-deliver idea and why shouldn't there be more of those? They've right. got a lot of employees, though. No. I mean, when you have to... S yeah, but then... Rob the, will, and the, yeah. the, the small players tend to get bought by the bigger players, so it's... Uh, it's yes. It, right. The, the, it moves along. The tricky bit with this 20, is not... 25% we got yeah. here. ...is okay. not the content, because apps can be made by teams of that size. It's getting into the top 10. It's the hard bit. Right? Yeah. Because you're up it's against marketing. the people paying to be there. Yeah, marketing. Exactly. Yeah. So, you know, one example, casino, big fish... Right whatever, spend six million a month to retain their position. OK, so, we're going to race to yeah, our very final question. You're going to have to do it yes. quickly, but it's a really easy one, so don't worry. Um, by 2020, UK children will spend over 20 hours online each week. I think in 2012, it was 12 hours, up from 9.7. Who thinks this is fact by 2020, 20 hours? Everybody. So <laughs> who thinks it's fiction? There's someone over there. <laughs> They're almost certainly wrong. Panel, this must be right, surely. Yeah. No, yes. true. Next year, I think. It'll Next be, year. Yeah, I don't think it'll be 2020. You heard it here first. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, I'm afraid we've run out of time. We've only really scratched the surface. I believe that almost all the panel will be upstairs having free coffee, <laughs> hopefully with you, if you all flee that way now in an orderly fashion. Um, just a very quick word then to say thank you hugely to um, the panel for giving us their honest views. <laughs>